0: This is the Canadian Passive and Active Real Estate Podcast, Investing and Wealth Building with Connie Buna and Roland Kim. Good morning, everyone, or whenever you're listening to this podcast. Hi. Hi, Connie. (laughs) It's Roland Kim here and Connie Buna. How are you today?
1: I'm feeling great. I'm excited. I'm always excited to chat with you about investing in real estate. I'm pumped for your content today, partner.
0: Awesome. So... Next podcast that we'll record will be a little bit longer. I'm going to go quite detailed into like buying your first or just an investment property in general. So make sure to look out for the next episode as well. It's going to take you from the beginning through to receiving keys and kind of like a roadmap at a high level.
1: Is this a teaser? It's a teaser. What are we talking about today?
0: All right. So today I want to talk about the five areas to master, to be a good investor. Yes. And uh, and then talk a little bit about the different investment strategies that are out there. Cool. Number one, it's like with so many things, whether you're trying to lose weight, get stronger, you need a purpose. Where's your motivation coming from and what's your big why? Why? And the reason I say that is because I have helped investors purchase a great investment and I thought they were happy. I thought they, you know, it was making money. It was passively being managed by a property management company. And then out of the blue, they're like, eh, I, I think I want to sell it. I want to move the money into Bitcoin or something else. Yes. Maybe not the Bitcoin example, but <laughs> everyone to their own. Um, and what was interesting in that is they never explained to me what their reason was for buying investment property. Mm. And although I looking back at it thought they did numerically, certainly well financially, they got a great return, but maybe it was never part of their big why and they didn't have a purpose for it.
1: Okay. So what can you explain a little bit more? We use the terminology big why, and it's a common phrase Mm. for you and I, but let's take that apart a little bit more. Tell me more about what it means.
0: So for me, it means why am I doing what I'm doing? And in more detail, why am I willing to take on all the stresses and the challenges in the weeks and months and years ahead to, in this case, become an investor, to buy an investment property? What is the reward? Why am I doing it? Mm-hmm. And what is motivating me? Mm-hmm. So for some folks, it could be any number of things. For me, it's I want to deliver a lifestyle to my family and my kids of a certain level, and for my skill set and my enjoyment and what I have available to use, real estate investing is amazing because I put twenty percent down, a bank mortgages the balance, and I can build semi-passive wealth for my family. So my big why, quite simply, is the lifestyle I want to provide for my kids mm-hmm. and my wife.
1: Mm-hmm. Awesome. So if you're not a family person, like before you you had a family before you had. Even before you were married, I think there was a driving force around making an investment. So if you were thinking about about that side of yourselves, what's another example of a big why? Why did you get into it in the beginning, before you even had children, before you had met Jess?
0: You know, I don't know if it was Freedom 55 commercial or something, but it got into my head about at which point, you know, at what stage of your life... That you're working towards and what number of passive income or of, you know, monies coming to you would make you happy Mm -hmm. that you can kind of take your foot off the growth. And so for me, I just saw real estate investing as being one of the most steady ways of me building my equity Mm -hmm. and getting to a point where I want to be in, you know, in a certain amount of time that my lifestyle is covered by my investments and I will work for the rest of my life, but I can choose how I want to work.
1: Yes. Yeah. When I think about my my why as an investor, you know, I am, my personality as it relates to money, I'm a squirreler. Yeah. I'm a squirreler away. And so for me, my big why is certainly future planning, certainly thinking about myself as an aging person and my family and my, my kids. And then over and above that, another why is I wanted to be a quote unquote good landlord. I want to be able to be somebody that actually takes pride in providing housing and shelter to people in our community. And so that was, for me, when I think about the big why, it's number one, it was a a no-brainer. I I am certainly of the philosophy of invest in what you know, and I know real estate. Great point. And then secondary to that, it was a great way to squirrel. So I'm I'm (laughs) similar to the way that I don't, I'm not great at calculating my Commission checks and following my, you know, pending transactions, I just kind of like, I'm just working and I'm doing my thing and that's the money piece is not the driver. I'm thinking about just taking that chunk, that 20% chunk and, and socking it away somewhere relatively stable. And my strategy with investment properties is long-term hold. That's Mm -hmm. my strategy. And so when I think about it, it's like I've socked away, you know, many hundreds now, thousands of dollars into real estate holdings that I don't even want to think about that money. I don't think about it existing. I just think that one day somehow it will potentially keep me sheltered. It will keep my family safe and, you know, it would be a great asset to will to my family.
0: Perfect. Point number two to master as an investor is build and work a database Mm -hmm. and that means a number of things. So for me, a database is my deals database, is my service provider database. And what I mean by that is obviously Vancouver is a very expensive market and a very difficult market to get cash flow. Mm -hmm. And I'm such a big proponent to help as many of my Vancouver residential clients get investment properties that I've really become a specialist over the last few years of helping them facilitate purchases across Canada effectively and safely. And so the way I do that is I'm constantly growing and cultivating and nurturing my database of realtors that I trust across Canada that send me great opportunities. Yeah. And I build little nucleus around each person in each city. And so if I'm working with a client from Vancouver that wants to invest in Edmonton or Windsor, Ontario or Moncton, I can connect them with my database. I connect them with, as sometimes it's the deal, the deal I already am aware of. I can connect them with the opportunity, the realtor. And then if it's moving forward, I know that that realtor based on previous experience has built a database around them. So they have all the service providers.
1: You know what? I think just in terms of clarity, the language of database might be confusing for someone who is an investor. So I think one of the things that come to mind is okay. affiliated partners. Great point. Who are the other business providers, service providers, technicians, contractors? That's who we're talking about Yes. in any given zone or territory of your investment and really maintaining relationships with those people and always adding new people, you know, similar to, you know, in any business that you might be in, if you're a connector, you might know people, you know, for example, for those of us in our community that are looking for great realtors, you might know about Connie and Roland. We're amazing realtors. We do great work for our clients. And if your client is interested in purchasing something that's not within our core territory, we have amazing, we have an amazing network of referrals that we can connect your people to. So, It's those affiliated partnerships. So partner, you have always held this belief. You hold this belief in your real estate practice and in many other businesses that you run. And so specifically around the investment side of things, I think that's one of the things that people are intimidated about when they're thinking about getting into investment is the idea of who's going to help me fix the toilet if I'm Mm -hmm. not the person that can go and fix the toilet. Who's going to help me cut the grass?
0: Yeah. And I mean, I guess I passively fell into that with, I've always had a vision of running a business from my phone. And I don't mean that like haphazardly or in a cavalier style. I mean more that my phone is a conduit to all my connections and relationships that I've built, that no matter what comes up, I can have a conversation and I can either delegate, do or deflect. Okay. Right, And so for me, the easiest way of getting there is you need to know who the plumber is before you need a plumber. Mm-hmm. And so you need to know who the contractor is that you're going to call before you need a contractor. Mm-hmm. That way when a tenant calls me and says the sprinkler is spraying into my window and flooding, you know, my my bedroom, I don't automatically just have to go to You know google and figure out do i need a contractor do i need a you know lawn care person or do i need a restoration or a plumber yes in that case i instantly knew who to call and that person went and took a look and you know that person would have been able to if the job was too big to then reach out to their plumber and then if a lot of damage had happened they would have reached out to a restoration person versus saying you know what I think someone cut the top of this, you know, and cut the sprinkler head and I was able to turn it off and you know the, the it's been fixed yes. and here's here's the course forward. So preparation in advance is so key and I think what I do well is I underpromise and overdeliver. So it's actually quite remarkable how easy it is just to talk to service providers and different folks in areas where you're going to invest or have investments. And just explain honestly who you are and what you're trying to achieve and not promise them the world. It's not like I'm going to, you know, become a a powerful investor here and be a huge part of your business. Mm -hmm. More so, you know, what is your niche? What is you as a service provider, the ideal type of business you're looking for? Mm -hmm. And then you know when something comes up that there's someone that, you know, you trust that you've screened in advance that you can bring into the transaction you know, it sounds so simple, but that really changes my perspective of being an investor from looking at my phone and seeing a tenant call me. And unless it's rent time, it often instantly, you know, for an investor makes you wonder what's wrong. Mm-hmm. And yeah, something's wrong, but same way as in our real estate practice, we differentiate ourselves and we excel by solving problems. Yes, And so if you can take that approach in your investment, you become a great landlord Mm -hmm. that's got a huge tool belt Mm -hmm. that is a problem solver. Thank you. Yeah. Are you ready to build a stronger financial future but don't know where to start? Connect with our advisors with Prometheus Private Advisory Group. We commit to understanding where you are financially today and where you want to be tomorrow. By providing you the knowledge, tools, and guidance through achievable objectives, we can help reach your financial goals quicker. For more information and a free consultation, email ben.chan at ppagroup.ca. A A stronger financial feature starts today. Number three of being a great investor, things to master, is evaluate and research. Mm. And it's interesting. It's the same thing that we sometimes notice when we're working with buyers in our resale market. And they spend so much time, you know, early on focusing and researching things that aren't relevant because they don't have perhaps even a property they're interested in in that exact area. So they spend a lot of energy, they invest a lot of time in things that aren't relevant yet. Can
1: you expand on that?
0: So, you know, if we're working with a brand new buyer or a brand new investor and we're talking about potentially three different cities that they're looking into and, and potentially want to invest into, they may go so far down a rabbit hole that they're looking at like, you know, the floodplains, even though mm. we're, we're, we're not that far down. We're the not cap. there yet. Yep. And, and then eventually we might be putting a deal together in an entirely different city and they feel like they've already done a lot of work. Yes. Like they feel like they've been invested thinking about it. They've spent you know time on task, yes. but you're not spending time on the right task. And so we, in that case, from an investor's perspective, we might have, you know, secured a deal and we have time to do our due diligence. Mm-hmm. And I have to like motivate them and propel them to do their due diligence because they're kind of spent. They're exhausted. Okay. Once you have a deal together and you still have the ability to vacate the transaction as a buyer. Mm Mm-hmm. I always tell my clients, it's like buying a used car. It's like buying uh, you know, it's like taking over an old body. There's good and there's bad. Mm-hmm. And until it becomes your problem, you have the option of walking away. So make sure you know everything that's positive and everything that's negative yep. and figure out if that's the right equation for
1: you. A question for you on the evaluate piece. How important is it to actually physically go and view the property you're considering purchasing? Especially if you're out of your region and it requires some travel time.
0: So in a perfect world, I want to see everything at the same time. I mean, we purchased five properties personally last year during COVID and I didn't see one of them and I feel comfortable in all the purchases because I had a great team that was involved. My realtor, pretty much sent me you know, globs of videos and mm-hmm. information. Mm-hmm. I got to speak to the tenants. I had a property manager go through and reconfirm that the rents are repeatable and fair. You know, I had a handyman go through and figure out what needs to be done right away and what is being done in the next two to five years. Mm-hmm. The inspector, I made sure that I hired an inspector that does video and really detailed reporting. Mm-hmm. And I told him I'm the type of investor that like, just don't exaggerate, but tell me everything. Yes. It doesn't change the transaction if I don't move forward. It's not because you've told me something that I didn't expect. I'm open to anything. Mm -hmm. It's all a matter of what am I paying and what are my expectations?
1: Yes. Yes. Great. Any other evaluation tools that you can share? Like, is there any other, are you using a particular website that you find to be powerful in that evaluation side of things? Like how did you gain the mastery or what's your step around gaining the mastery for evaluations?
0: You know, that comes back to something we've spoken about before. And I always say, What's your avatar? Certainly there's apps and spreadsheets I use to figure out what the cash flow is and what the return is. But as we'll be talking a little bit about different strategies, my wife and I have also invested in properties that have a completely negative cash flow for mm-hmm. different reasons. Mm-hmm. So it more comes back to why are you buying a property right now? Mm-hmm. What is the purpose of that investment property and what does that look like? Yes. And then that can change over time. Yes. But you decide and you design what it is that you want yes. and then go out and find it versus finding something and then justifying why you should own it. Right. And so for me, you know, when people say cap rates, I really personally am not. Motivated by cap rates, and I don't look at cap rates. One, I think they can be manipulated, and secondly, it doesn't tell the whole story. Yeah, for me, it's a whole number of other things that I'm looking for, and it always stems back to why am I buying and what am I looking for, and then go out and find that awesome. And then, step number four, or area number four, is acquire deals. I mean, I've said it before. I have yet to meet an investor that has owned a property for five to 10 years that wishes they didn't own the property. I've certainly met investors that sell it because they moved on to something else. But in like a five plus year horizon, most terrible things get corrected and small problems become part of the story that you're going to remember about being a landlord. Mm-hmm. And equally, I mean, same way as in our residential practice where, you know, you and I helped well over 100 clients a year in the Vancouver area. When we were doing open houses, three, four, five, six, seven years down the road from us starting, we run into the same buyers that were coming through the open house. Absolutely. And were intending to buy a property. And think of the, the cost of their lack of decision. Mm-hmm. And so the properties during a seven year period has more than doubled. Mm-hmm. And so the same thing about investment properties, you know, don't be in a hurry and don't rush at the same time, come up with a plan of what you're looking for and then how to get it in a timeline and buy something in that yes. timeline. Yes. Because you can't make up the time. So yeah. acquire deals. And if you think you didn't do a great job at acquiring the deal, fix it in the next one.
1: Yeah. Taking the time to reflect is such a powerful exercise in so many areas of life and business, Mm -hmm. you know, especially for those of us that run at a high level and we're busy and we've got lots of stuff on the go, you know, really doing yourself the favor of um, prioritizing thinking time Mm -hmm. and reflection, not only goal setting, but reflection, on those priorities. So if your intention was, you know, to get into an investment market and you have the money set aside and you you didn't pull the trigger yet, why? What's holding you back? Do you have the right partners in your corner? This reminds me of, you know, a friend acquaintance in my circle that I've been hearing from him. He's somebody that I, not, he is not my client, he's just a friend, but I'm hearing from him for years now about, and he, he loves to talk about the market. He wants to talk about the market every time I see him and always just on the fence of opportunity. And I don't really know much about his personal finances. What I do know is that the product that he's interested in purchasing over the last four years has increased in value by about $250,000. Wow. And what a lost opportunity that is that he had certainly had the equity to make the purchase. And unfortunately, I just feel like he didn't have the, maybe he didn't have the confidence to move forward. Maybe he didn't have the right partners in his corner to move forward. Maybe he's just somebody that's never going to make that decision and that's okay as well. It's just too bad. It's a missed opportunity, lost opportunity.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that was point number five there to become great at, which is evaluate the results, Mm. gain the insights from your purchase and then replan. I mean, just personally, my wife and I, we have a great conversation around one fourplex that we purchased, you know, four or five years ago in Kelowna. And it seemed like for the first three years, four years, everything kept going wrong with that one. Of all the properties we own, that was the one that was taking up the vast amount of complaints in time. And I think even to this day, she hasn't seen it and I've been more involved in it. And so she was becoming more and more almost like a client that I sometimes deal with, where it was starting to get to the point of asking me, why do we own it? like Mm -hmm. is it this one again when i got a message or an email i had to deal with something yes and i had to bring her back to the game plan why do we own it and there was some embedded challenges in that purchase that i didn't foresee and it was going to take me a bunch of time to work through it and yet now that you know we've worked through it now that 2020 2021 happened wow market value went up 30 percent from what we paid Mm -hmm. we have good tenants in place Mm -hmm. we seem to have stabilized it Mm -hmm. um no longer are we talking about wishing we didn't own it Mm -hmm. right and so equally what i learned from there is you know that was probably my first fourplex that i purchased and i did overpay for it a little bit and you could have taken the position that um, you know i overpaid i made a mistake i'm not going to buy another investment property this was terrible Versus five years later, I certainly have a property that's worth more than what we paid for. And we have positive cash flow and I've spent five years paying off a mortgage. Like that's a win, win, win. Yes. Even though there was a lot of pain along the way.
1: Yes, absolutely. I feel like the tone of our conversations often are, I mean, we are naturally optimistic, I think. Mm -hmm. But what are some of the scenarios as we're thinking about goals, reflections and evaluations? Where are scenarios in your mind where... An investor should consider exiting?
0: When the metrics that they were looking for are not there and the reality is a negative to them. And so that could be a number of things. One, that could be, you know, maybe someone purchased a property thinking there's positive cash flow and there's actually negative cash flow and there's no short term way of correcting it. You know, like a $400 negative cash flow on a property for the right property. I'm good with that all day long if Mm -hmm. it's the right property. That same property for another investor could be detrimental, could cause them to go into real financial hardship, could be emotional stress, physical stress, drain them. And so it's the same way as if you were investing into the stock market, you're not gonna hold on to all properties even if you're down on them eventually, or not properties, equities. You're gonna sell some losses. Mm -hmm. So if you were an investor and you purchased a property and things were different than what you perceived, And every single month it's compounding energy and negativity and and the money is not going the right direction. And there's no short term way of fixing it. There's nothing wrong with taking a step back and regrouping and then Mm -hmm. taking two steps forward. Mm-hmm. that's, I think the main one. And then the other ones are often when people change. So, you know, I see it even in myself when I think of some of the early properties that I purchased and what I was willing to deal with and, you know, the type of property I purchased, the number simply based on price point and what was available to me. You know, I'm no longer willing to buy that property. Because I've worked really hard and I have more equity and I have more leverage and I now have a larger, you know, pool of people, my database that I get better deals coming across my desk. And so if I was, you know, some investors don't want to hold on to those and I can support that decision Mm -hmm. because if they can reapply that equity into a better investment, then that totally makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think those are kind of my two main areas. Do you have another one you were thinking of?
1: Well, I was just thinking about the idea of whether or not there is a value proposition around cash flow negative properties needing to be topped up, and the concept that you know many many people are very comfortable and happy paying into other investment vehicles like an RSP, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, we wouldn't question or challenge that. If there's a common, I think, I hesitate to call it a mistake, but perhaps misunderstanding that a good investment property must always be cash flow positive and my personal opinion is that i don't necessarily agree with that mm-hmm. I do believe that there is value in some circumstances over a long-term horizon. If there is, you know, for example, in a market like a Vancouver market, where it's actually challenging to find a cash flowing property, often we're seeing, you know, we're at kind of net zero and Or or, or a little bit negative, but the value proposition over time is that the market is growing, the desirability of the location is growing and or perhaps there's Other components at play, redevelopment. Finite resource. Yeah, Yeah. finite resource, land is scarce, redevelopment opportunity on the site. And sometimes those are the opportunities that can get missed. Maybe it's just not as palatable as, I mean, obviously cash flow positive is delightful, right? It's just, it's taking care of itself and it's putting a little bit of money in the bank. But I think there is an argument to be made for other investments that have other scenarios that make them very, very attractive from a long-term or long-range perspective. It is really interesting, though, to think about the mastery of good investment habits. In your pursuit of mastery, as we are all on this journey together, who are you listening to? Who are you following?
0: Oh, man, you're, you're putting me out on the spot. I listen to a lot, but I, I'm i terrible at remembering the names. But there's the Pocket Investor. I'm a really big fan of that one. Um, uh, an offhand. Is that the Big are, Pockets? The Big Pockets. Big Thank Pockets. You. Big Pockets. Are you audiobooks? F- are you you're into the
1: audiobooks? audiobooks. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. And are you like a rich dad poor dad sort of
0: I've read that. I, I wouldn't say I'm diligent anymore on automatically putting twenty percent away mm-hmm. of all the money I make. Now I'm more separated and I budget. So, mm-hmm. you know, the approach that we take is live off a, a modest amount of dividends and we reinvest the rest. Nice. But, you know, you were mentioning earlier about cash flow negative. So mm-hmm. it's all about strategies, yes. right? And so for the next few minutes, I think we'll just talk about some strategies. And and the goal when someone listens to this is to um, recognize there are strategies, there are a plethora of strategies. Yes. And Honestly, if there's a will, there's an opportunity for someone with money to be an investor. And there's someone without money to be an investor. It just depends what skill set you bring. And some of these strategies that we're going to talk about, it's almost like making money strategy Mm -hmm. or long-term wait and get paid in the future strategy.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. So one that most people have heard of is a joint venture. You typically have a great opportunity that, you know, typically we call it the deal partner finds that and secures it and then finds a money partner. And the money partner is responsible to finance the mortgage, may be paying the entire down payment and the improvements, mm-hmm. or they may split that between the money partner and the deal partner. Okay. And then going forward, that property is rented and managed and you know, probably every four to five years they reevaluate it. Yes. And should this partnership decide to sell it, they're equal, equal partners. The money partner put more money into the equation the deal partner secured the deal Mm -hmm. and typically did the hands-on management Mm -hmm. and the work. Mm -hmm. And so if done correctly, it's an amazing win-win strategy. Yes. Yeah. And you and I have our own version of that between us. Are you ready to build your real estate portfolio? It starts with taking the first step. Call the Home Happy team for a free review of your financial situation and let us start to build your financing plan. Our team's experience, technology and lender connections will allow you to build what you may not think is possible. We will look at all the options open to you and mix those with your dreams and goals to build the perfect mortgage strategy for your next step. With the Home Happy team helping you, your future starts now.
1: And so speaking of those partnerships, how important is it to have an actual written agreement?
0: Hugely important. I think it's again, it's one of those, you know, scary stories that investors talk about and it's almost like a marriage breakup. It mm. depends which side you're talking to. And you know, they make the other side sound as if they're terrible. Yeah. And all of that could have been avoided if you're in a business partnership by actually having a clearly drawn up agreement that yes. outlines everything from how we get into relationship and how we exit relationship. Yes. Yes. And you know, in a perfect world. If you end a partnership, there shouldn't be any um, gray areas if Mm -hmm. it's well addressed. Mm -hmm. And so I'm still amazed at how many people go into joint ventures or partnerships and they don't have paperwork to back it up. Mm -hmm. You know, people always expect that things will be great versus uh, planning for the demise or even a great conclusion could be a sale. But if you don't have it clarified, who's getting what and how is it being split? Something that was a great experience for so many years leaves a relationship partnered.
1: Yeah, tarnished, absolutely.
0: Then the next strategy that we've done a lot with is foreclosures. Mm -hmm. When I talk to folks moving to Canada, moving to Vancouver, and if they've had certainly experience in the United States, our foreclosures are entirely different. So, on a high level, the bank, when they're, you know, or the lender, when they're going through the foreclosure process, the property is listed and an investor or someone's gonna buy it, but you don't get it at a dramatic discount. Mm -hmm. And so if you're an investor, the strategy for foreclosure is if you can find a good property, certainly in the Vancouver marketplace and across Canada, often what you'll discover is you'll find a great turnkey property that is available at slightly less than market price. And in my experience, there's inherent risk that you're taking on, Mm -hmm. but it often doesn't go sideways. Yes, It's pretty well-structured.
1: What could go sideways?
0: I mean you don't have the guarantees of what you have in a typical purchase where the seller is warranting and guaranteeing certain conditions and yeah. guarantees.
1: And delivery of the product. And delivery of the, of the, of the, the product. Yeah.
0: yeah. The pre-sale strategy I find interesting. It used to be, you know, we can remember Connie and myself, pre-sales, buying them where you were buying a pre-sale on today's value and it was completing three years down the road. And sometimes it was even less than today's value because it wasn't finished yet. Mm. And so pre-sales for many people in the past were, even without a strategy, were a goldmine because they essentially, you know, purchased something for pennies on the dollar, Mm -hmm. the right to that property at a discounted price. Yes. And so the marketplace just, I feel there's still a lot of people that assume all pre-sales are equal. Yes. And so if you're an investor, you have to be very careful, in my opinion, about the presale strategy. What I'm noticing now is most developers and rightly so cuz they're, you know, making the product, are charging in my opinion future pricing. Yes,
1: they are, definitely.
0: And so you could in many cases if you're an investor, you could buy a resale product at same price or less than price, mm-hmm. apply a mortgage today and have 3 years of principal paydown versus buying, you know, the wrong presale investment. Yes. And I've seen many folks buy presale as a strategy and then when it goes to complete two years down the road, it's actually worth less than what they paid for. Yeah. So, you know, that is definitely a strategy that's happening every day. It's happening right now as we speak with someone, they just need to make sure they're going into it eyes wide open and know what their um, avatar are. Nice. Then buy, value add and rent. And so what I mean by that is, it's a great strategy. We've employed it several times where you find a great property, you understand the area, you understand the tenant, you understand the improvements you can add to the property and you can quite effectively over a few weeks, over a couple months, add value to it and improve it and then rent it out and it becomes a great buy and hold. Yes. Awesome. And then kind of leading into a negative cash flow strategy sometimes comes, or negative cash flow sometimes comes from this strategy, which is a buy, rent, and hold for developer sale. Okay. And so many markets don't have this strategy available to them, but an expensive market such as New York or Hong Kong or Vancouver would have this strategy available. And what it is, is if you do a lot of research and you can look at how the city is expanding and what the future use are, you can sometimes you know see buildings that are are in the path of development. Yes. And so if you can own in that building, mm-hmm. and, and certainly it's a calculated risk, but in a certain period of time, you likely will get purchased by a developer. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, I mean, we've seen anything from a 60% increase to 400% increase. Yes. And so it can be an amazing windfall. Yes. and so it kind of goes back to what you're talking about with how many folks are comfortable putting money every month into an RSP mm-hmm. um, and so we've sometimes helped clients divert RSP money and help supplement a cash flow negative property and then get really hefty rewards when the property is sold nice 100% financing strategy is one of my favorites it's where you find a way and there's many you know this is a conversation you'll have with your lender there's ways of purchasing a property with zero percent down mm-hmm. of your own money using leverage, using a line of credit, using a holding company versus personal. Again, it goes back to if you're really passionate about owning an investment property and you don't feel you have the down payment, Mm -hmm. but let's say you own a property somewhere, Mm -hmm. you'd be amazed at how effectively you can use that in order to purchase and leverage from it to purchase an investment property. Then the classic that most people have heard of, the BRRRR strategy. So you're buying a property, you're dramatically renovating it, you're renting it, and then you're refinancing it. And so you're adding so much value to it that you can go back to the bank after you've purchased it, you've improved it, and you Mm -hmm. can say, you know, bank, I'd like to borrow this amount of money back. They run the numbers and they can see how much value has been added to the property. So when done correctly, you can often get all your down payment money back and reapply that to the next purchase.
1: And so is that a scenario where you're using that 100% leverage? Kind of tool is that is no. that a
0: similar place or is it different? different different like hundred percent leverage is more hundred um, percent financing is using leverage mm-hmm. through a number of different options mm-hmm. where the birth strategy is it's almost like you've collected a pool of money yes and now you're finding a property that you see huge potential in. yes, and you purchase it and you add so much value to it and you get it rented that the bank can see the improvements and they yeah. give you all your money back and they mortgage it. Wow. And then you apply that to the next one. Exciting. Classic that I love that you do really well at is buy and hold. Yep. I mean, we're not the sharpest nails in a bucket. And so <laughs> buy and hold in the in the end always works for us.
1: Well, it's a set it and forget it strategy. You know, for myself personally, I've never been a gambler. Yes. And so those quick in out plays as certainly in a real estate capacity is just so far outside of my comfort zone that the buy hold feels like the most comfortable way that I can expand my portfolio. What about yourself? Is that your intention with your holdings?
0: Yeah, I think I love owning the property. And like yourself, you're talking earlier about adding um, or providing great housing. I really like the relationships I have with my tenants that appreciate what we offer. Mm -hmm. And so we're great landlords and Mm -hmm. buy and hold allows us to invest into the properties and keep them really well maintained. Ironically, I have a deal with all my tenants. Any one of my tenants, I welcome them to break the lease to go buy a property. I tell them that. Like my goal is that you aren't my tenant forever. I Mm -hmm. want you to go buy a property. Cool. And that's how strongly I believe in real estate. A few other strategies. There's a distressed purchase strategy. And I used to have a little bit of a challenge mindset-wise with this one Mm because I thought you're taking advantage of people. Always had a rule where I can never be part of a business such as like cash payday loans because it just doesn't sit well with me, right? Because it's predatory. It feels predatory. predatory. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I think distress purchase strategy is different is you are looking to solve a problem. Same reason that, you know, there's folks at different times that need to go into private lending or, you know, they're paying a higher premium because they're making a decision that's in their best interest mm-hmm. and traditional banks aren't available to them. Yes. And so a distress purchase strategy could be where you are purchasing a property on such a quick closing or on conditions and terms that someone else couldn't do mm-hmm. at a discounted price because yes. the seller wants that to happen.
1: Yes. Is this a scenario where for example seller is like one step away from being foreclosed upon, like that sort of dynamic. That's a
0: great one. Or it's lost their job, lost their job or a divorce and both people aren't working. And so you're solving a problem Mm
1: -hmm.
0: by approaching it from a mathematic perspective Mm -hmm. where at this price I can do the deal. Does Mm -hmm. this work for you? So it's like all cards are on the table and eyes wide open. Yes. It's kind of funny often. I used to think that those would be the most uncomfortable deals because I felt like, you know, someone was exiting from a transaction really quickly that might've felt, you know, uh, pain from it. But often they're ecstatic. It's almost like the end of a divorce. They just want to get beyond it and move on to the rest of their life, right? And so they're happy that there's an option available to them. Yes. One that I've designed and I'm growing and I'm pretty big fan of, I call it my, Buy, improve, and maximize, and then rent and joint venture. So mm-hmm. it's a long term, mm-hmm. uh, but essentially it's, I know what I'm doing. I might have an investor that I want them to purchase, but they don't have you know, the conviction or the comfort level to do their first purchase. Mm-hmm. And so I am starting to purchase properties, improve them, add value to them, get them rented out, and then I have, you know, a year of history. Yes. And I can go, this is how the property is operating. Here are the margins. Yeah. And I will sell it to you at this price. Yep. And we will form a joint venture. Yes. So it's kind of like the opposite of a regular joint venture where we're going into a transaction without history, assuming that our numbers are correct mm-hmm. and that we know everything about the property. Mm-hmm versus this strategy where I've already done the work, it's already operating. There's history on it. Mm-hmm. Clearly I'm going to sell it for a higher price mm-hmm. because there's a premium to it, mm-hmm. but it's so comfortable for an investor that's really scared or hesitant because yes. other than something changing that I'm not aware of, you have history on the building on the way it will operate today while I o- own it on my own yes. or tomorrow when we own it together. Yes. No. So the last one that a lot of folks ask me about is the sell and rent back strategy. And so that might be a unique one that some of you haven't heard, but in certain markets, we're starting to see it foster and grow. And that is where you have perhaps an elderly homeowner that doesn't want to move. They want to retain control of the property. Yes. And we can now help them find an investor that will purchase the property at a certain price and allow them to live there and draw money from that purchase. Mm -hmm. And the seller is able to dictate the terms of living there. And so they never have to leave and they already know all the numbers of how much the property is sold for and they can comfortably live. And so it's almost like, yeah, it's the best of both worlds for some people.
1: Mm. Great. You touched on a lot of great content today, partner. This is amazing. So we talked about five areas to master to be a good investor. And then we talked about like approximately 14 different investment style strategies. There's quite a few more. To dive into. And we've barely hit the tip of the iceberg here.
0: I know you were falling asleep. So I thought I'd I'd help you out and I wouldn't go through all. Thanks
1: for sticking with us, gang. This was lovely. Great to talk to you as always, partner. Thank you. Thanks,
0: everyone. Have a great day.